following talk is from New Community. For more information about New Community, check out newcommunitychurch.org.uk. Thanks for listening. And we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 in just a few moments' time. But I just wanted to, before we get there, and it ties in with our entire theme uh, today and where we're up to as we are worshippers, is just to make some comments on some things that have happened, uh, which you've probably noticed in the news over the last couple of days and even continuing implications of this morning. And that's, uh, we woke up on Friday morning to the, uh, the biggest uh, decision in British politics for the past 40 years, one with profound and in many ways uh, at, at this stage unknown Uh, implications for us as a nation. And whatever your view, whether you voted in or you voted out or whether you didn't vote at all, whatever your view, whether you're kind of one of those people who hours of Friday morning woke up and were surprised and stunned in a good way or surprised and stunned in a a not so good way, whatever your, wherever your bias is, wherever you leaned, what happened, happened. And what happens next is of most importance. And it's really important to understand now that again, I just want to stress this. This is not a comment on whichever way you voted, but I just want to stress that what is really important to understand that we live in a deeply divided nation. Now, most of us realized this before Friday, but a lot actually didn't, and it was on the implications of it on Friday, suddenly realized just how divided our nation is, just how divided our communities are. Most of the people in this church come from the three boroughs around here, Greenwich, Bromley, and uh, Bexley, two of which voted to remain and one which voted to leave. So there's division right around where we are. There will be people in this room right now who voted to leave and people who voted to remain. And so we've got to recognize that, and it's more than just a political thing. This uh, referendum exposed uh, some real big, deep divisions in our nation. And some people were uh, extremely excited and joy-filled on Friday morning, and others were extremely devastated, and many were afraid, and lots of people are uncertain. Even people who voted were absolutely certain this is definitely what will happen. The reality is, prime ministers changed. As of this morning, most of the shadow cabinet have resigned, and uh, the Scottish referendum things back on the table, and and we're uncertain about whether how much the economy will be affected, this, that, or the other. And I'm sure in the end, it all kind of works itself out. But the reality is, it's a time of uncertainty, and it's a time of division. And here's the thing: as Christians, okay, these things are not unimportant to us, which way you voted, however you think, not unimportant, but they are secondary, okay? We are citizens of a different kingdom. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are in this world, but not of this world. And that means if you are tempted to place your joy and your hope in what happened, then you're not to do that. You're supposed to place your joy and your hope in the glorious eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ. And if you are devastated by what happened, you're not to be devastated by what happened because your hope and your, and your certainty and, your, and what's what kind of the ground upon which we stand is not things to do with the EU or not in the EU. It's to do with the sure and steadfast certainty of who the Lord Almighty is. He is the one who's in charge. He has complete sovereignty. And whether you're in or you're out, whatever your kind of, wherever your bias is, that's where our hope is. And that's where our certainty is. And so let's not be a people who rejoice in these things or despair in these things. Let's be a people who are brought to our knees in these things, in humble prayer for our nation, in humble prayer for our leaders, in humble prayer for our communities, in humble prayer where that is which is divided, but be united in the gospel and nothing else. Okay? Let's be a people of faith, 
faith in Jesus Christ and not in things of this world. Let's be a people of hope. Hope not in what we think may or may not happen next, but hope in the sure and certain resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ and the implications of it. And let's be a people of love. Not not to exacerbate the divisions, but instead unify people and bring people together. Ours is a ministry of reconciliation. Okay, and that's what we're about. And that's what we are. And so if you voted out, you're loved and you're welcome here. If you're voted in, you're loved and you're welcomed here. If you're feeling unafraid, you're loved and you're welcome here. If you're feeling ecstatic, you're loved and you're welcomed here. We are one in Christ. And those issues, they're not unimportant. I'm not dismissing them. They are very important, but they're very much secondary to the issue. Jesus Christ is on the throne. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And our hope is in him. Amen? Thank you. So let's just remind ourselves again, there is a king on the throne. His name is Jesus Christ, and he is worthy of worship, all right? Which is where we land today. The focus of our attention is on worship. And here's the thing, in this church, if you've been coming along for a number of years, or even if you've been coming for a few weeks, you would have recognized that worship, or I hope you would have recognized that worship is a high value here. It's of much importance here. It's very much part of our DNA. Many of you would have heard mine and Hannah's story. We arrived at this church 10 years ago, fresh-faced out of university, and uh, we kind of just done theology degrees, and we moved to the area. We just got placed in, in did a thing called Teach First, Han got placed in Thamesmead. I got placed in Eltham. We moved to Woolwich. We were looking for a church, and we tried a whole bunch of different churches. We'd never heard of New Frontiers. New Ground didn't exist. I'd never heard of Dave Holden. No real idea who Terry Virgo was, anything like that. And we tried a few different places. And for us, the key thing was, is the Word of God being preached? We come from that kind of background, theology background, Word of God being preached. Visited some churches. It kind of really was, and, and, and some that maybe it wasn't so much. And, and just, but nothing quite settled. And then we just happened by God's providence to stumble across New Community Church. And we arrived, and we arrived and thought, wow, the word is preached here. And there was a few other things we had on our checklist we kind of needed to have ticked off, and, and most of them were, and, and all the rest of it. But then we kind of began, and we just felt, this is it. This is the place for us to be. This is home. This is where God wants us to be. Very quickly, we came once, and within 15 minutes, we'd made that decision. And we, we kind of knew. I don't know how we knew. Well, I do know. The Spirit of God did something in us. But we, we just sort of knew. And then we went on this journey. Wow, these guys really worship. I mean, I've experienced worship before, but wow, this really seems to be deep here. And we went on this big journey of understanding, discovering the richness of the spirit-filled church life, this beautiful, life-changing, life-giving dynamic of both word and spirit coming together. And nowhere else is this played out so much in this whole area of worship. And it's become so, uh, kind of our experience, my experience, our experience, many of your experiences of coming perhaps from slightly different backgrounds. Some of you grown up in this church, you think, what are you talking about? All churches are like this. We're coming from these slightly different backgrounds with an emphasis on one thing or another, or worship looks like this, or it looks like that. And, and coming to this place of recognizing that, okay, this is how things work themselves out here. This is this emphasis on word and spirit. Worship is, is deeply ingrained in our DNA here. It's a, it's a non-negotiable. It always has been. And, and to be honest, I'm pretty certain, as certain as you can be about these things, it always will be in the life of this church. And it's got nothing to do with bands and great musicians and the use of loops some weeks and laptops. You know, sometimes they think, how are they making that sound? It's called a computer, all right? Uh, and it's got nothing to do with those things. It's got to do with the fact that we, as a community of people, are individually a community of 
worshippers. We're a worshipping people. And worship isn't something that is, is added onto our lives. Worship is not something we just do for 30, 40 minutes on a Sunday. Worship is not just a, a luxury. Worship is not just something that we occasionally get round to. Actually, everything that we do, everything that we are as individuals, but also us corporately, is based around and should be based around the centrality, the importance of being worshippers. If you're a Christian here today, worship must be at the very center of who you are and of your life. You see, worship magnifies the Lord. I mean, worship does many things, but worship magnifies the Lord. You think about when you look at something through a magnifying glass, you don't actually change the size of the thing you're looking at. It's just your perception, your experience, your understanding of it changes. It looks bigger. That thing actually hasn't got any bigger, but you now are aware that your, your perspective of it has been made bigger. And so when we worship God, it's not that he gets any bigger. It's that our perspective of him gets bigger. It magnifies him. And when we fail to magnify, when we don't give time to worship, we're in danger of diminishing our perspective of God. And what we actually do is we begin to magnify something else. And most of us, well, in fact, all of us, if we're not magnifying God, the thing we're magnifying tends to be ourselves or our situations or our problems or our context or the things that we think are good in the world or the things that we think are are bad in the world. Worship causes us to magnify God. Worship also changes the focus in our lives from us to God. Worship declares that there is only one king. His name is Jesus, and he is worthy to be praised. And therefore, by a strong implication, no one and nothing else is worthy to be praised. Worship is, is also, the, like, if you like, the doorway to the presence of God. It's not just a thing we do on Sundays or five, ten minutes in a, in a morning. Worship is, is a lifestyle thing. Worship is what gives us hope. Our problems don't disappear when we come to worship, but hope is restored because our perspective changes. We begin to recognize, actually, that, that is, yes, it's a serious issue, but it's nowhere near as big as this. It's nowhere near as glorious as this. Worship reminds us of truth. We live in an age where we're bombarded by anything but the truth. Worship causes waves of truth to to wash over us, causes us to, oh yeah, that's it. That's what's of most importance. That's what this is all about. That's where this big story is heading. That's what is really going on in the world. We can be so tempted, particularly in moments like this, and after the results of this referendum, we think, no, it's all about this. And it's No, 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 worship causes us to remind, actually, there is something much bigger going on, and there's something more glorious happening, and it is Jesus Christ and his kingly rule and his reign. Worship also brings fresh energy and, and fresh, I don't know, vitality, if you like, to our lives. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, says the Bible. You're feeling weary and tired. Well, if, you might want to go to sleep for a little bit, but you need, when you wake up, worship, because it will refresh your soul. Worship helps bring that sense of, and it just makes me feel alive a little bit. Worship, I don't know how this works kind of in practice, but I know it works from experience. Worship unclutters your life. Your life is complicated. Mine is. Yours is. I know it is because you've got loads of different things going on in it. And you've got this and work and pressure of this and family and that. And you've got that endless to-do list in your house. And you've got to sort that out and sort this out. And blah, 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 blah. And your husband's nagging you. And your wife's nagging you. And your friends are nagging you. And your parents are nagging you. And your work colleagues are nagging you. Life gets complicated. Worship unclutters it. It's ah, oh, I'm living for this, not for all of this. Not that these are unimportant, but they come secondary to, to this thing here. Worship fills us with joy. One of the 
keys for joy is worship because worship is not dependent upon our circumstances or our situation. So many of us, let's be honest, we woke up on Friday and depending on which way you went to sleep on Thursday hoping it would be, you were either filled with joy or filled with despair on Friday morning because circumstances have changed how you feel. Worship is not dependent on those things at all and brings us joy because we worship because he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He does not change. He's the same from everlasting to everlasting. And so we fix our eyes not on things seen, but things unseen. Jesus Christ, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. That's where my joy comes from. Worship lifts burdens. Worship provides solutions to problems. Worship causes faith to rise when there isn't any. God, how am I possibly going to do this? Well, I'll tell you what I could do. I could sit there and just think about all the reasons why I'm never going to be able to do it and why I'm never going to sort myself out. Or I could come and worship and let faith come as a result. Oh, I've got to sort this out. I've got to sort that. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. Right, if that can pop. No, no, no. I'm just going to come and I'm just going to worship. And as I do, solutions seem to come. Worship is centrally important to us as believers. We are a worshiping people. Let's read Ephesians chapter 5. We're just going to look from verse uh, 15 through to verse 20. Look carefully then. We're going to focus really on verses 18, 19, and 20. But look carefully then, verse 15, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence, for Christ. Be filled with the Spirit. As you read through the pages of Scripture, you you really can't escape from the fact that that when people are filled with the Spirit, all sorts of things happen. Alright, so Acts 4, boldness comes. And it says in Acts 4, when the people, when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They were afraid. They began this process of being filled with the Holy Spirit, worship, and boldness came. We see elsewhere in Scripture that they break out in in praise and celebration when they're filled with the Holy Spirit. You can read it in Acts 10. Suddenly, they began exuberantly extolling God and speaking in tongues. It's like, oh, the Spirit come. Whoa, God, you're so magnificent and worthy of praise. Sometimes we see in Scripture that when the Spirit comes, we're filled with the Spirit. Spiritual gifts come and and get given and, and God speaks and he directs things. So we see in Acts 13, they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. And the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. So there's this sense in which they're worshiping and they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the Lord directs their affairs, which is why as a church, we worship so much. Come to one of our prayer nights and we don't sit in a circle and just one after a time pray. We come and we worship. Because there's this beauty, you sit, if you ever sit in our elders' meetings, we sing, spend time, I mean, it is a little bit awkward, there's like five of us in a room with a guitar and we're just singing, but we come and we're worshipping together. Why? Because we need clarity on this, we need to hear from God on that, and we see through the pages of Scripture, there's this beautiful connection between being filled with the Spirit, worshipping, and then the things that we need. It's like, 
Be filled with the Spirit. Worship. Worship, be filled with the Spirit. God directs. God provides. You need boldness. Be filled with the Spirit. Worship. Boldness will come. You need direction and clarity. Be filled with the Spirit. Worship. And the Lord gives space for the Lord to speak, and he will. This is why we do what we do as a church. This Wednesday night, we're going to be gathering for, again, mother, one of our monthly Advance the Kingdoms here in Sidcup, 8 o'clock Wednesday night. Guess what we're going to do? We're going to come and we're going to worship. And we're going to say, Lord, come have your way. We're going to glorify your name. We're going to praise you. And then we're going to be led by the Spirit. And we're going to pray for a whole bunch of things, expecting God to hear us and respond to us. It's this connection, Holy Spirit, worship the things that we need. And being filled with the Spirit here, I love the way Paul just sets this up. He contrasts being filled with the Spirit with being drunk with wine. And the issue here is one of influence or control or power. So if you think about, I'm sure none of you have ever done this, but you can imagine what it's like to be drunk, all right? And you see somebody is drunk, and they're under the influence, they're out of control, they're under the control, the way in which they act is not them, it's by somebody else, okay? It's influence of wine or your choice of beverage, whatever it is. And they act and feel and behave in a certain way as a result. Exactly the same. Paul uses the same analogy, same being controlled by the Holy Spirit. It's nothing to be fearful of. So many people, I don't want that. I don't want to be out of control. I want to be in control. That idea of the Holy Spirit coming in and invading me, feel that I'm out of control now and I'm suddenly going to be weird. No, 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 no. You look at what Scripture says happens to you when you're filled with the Spirit. It leads us to being the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what happens when we're filled in the Spirit. We begin to grow in those things. It's not suddenly you're, whoa, every, I'm like, what am I doing? My arms are out of control. I'm now saying all these random weird things and everything's got, no, no, no. When the Spirit comes, it's like Paul's saying, listen, these, you, you see someone who's drunk, right? And it's obvious that they're drunk, okay? I mean, some people are better at hiding it than others. But you get in any proximity with somebody who's drunk and you can tell that they're drunk. Paul says exactly the same. When you're filled with the Spirit, you get in any proximity with them, you can tell that they're filled with the Spirit. Why? Because they're full of these things. They're full of love and joy and peace and gentleness and kindness. They're different visibly. And this is what Paul is envisaging here, a community, the church, a community of people whose lives are so totally given over to the Spirit that what we say, what we do, how we do it are so completely obviously different to anyone else around us. Just be filled with the Spirit. It's, a, it's an imperative. It's a command. It's not like a Oh, no, it'd be good for you. I mean, you don't have to, but it would be good. No, 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 be filled with the, the Spirit. It's also this, I know this sounds a bit like a grammar lesson, but it's also this plurality of it. It's a plural thing, right? It's not just for one or two people. It's, it's, it's for everyone, okay? It's Paul writing here, the exhortation is to do with community life. There's a need for God's people to be collectively full of God's presence so that their lives are transformed, their worship is transformed, their relationships are transformed, being filled is also in the present tense. Paul's talking about an ongoing, continuous experience. We need to seek daily to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the fact that we, he speaks like that, it kind of implies that a Christian faces the danger of being low. It's okay. No one's died out there, all right? Someone just kind of needs the kid. It's fine. This happens every week. People go out that door. I know it's amazing, but hey. Is this implying that you can be low? If you're a Christian here, the Holy Spirit's never going to leave you, all right? Not going to vacate you, but you can get low. A bit like my car. If I just fill it up once with diesel, I mean, I can drive for, depending on motorways or around here, not very far at all. Rubbish. Don't get one of those. Uh, but it's going to run out at some point. 
Oh, what happened? Well, he didn't fill it up with diesel, did you, you plonker? And thankfully, because I am a, not smart on these things, it's got warning lights and it goes, fill me up now. Literally, it flashes, fill me up now. How many of us are living with our warning lights flashing? Irritable, grumpy, not in a good place with God, tired, cynical. Your warning lights are flashing. Every time I'm like that with hands, she's like, what are you doing? <sighs> Nothing. What are we doing? We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's so, so very, very important for us. We're always in need of refreshing and renewal. We need to meditate on the word of God. We need to spend time in his presence. We need to worship. And as we do, the promise of God is he comes and he fills us. These verses here are not prescriptive. They're not, you do this and it's exactly like that. But they're descriptive of what happens when the, the, the New Testament church, the people of God, fill with the Spirit. What happens is we become grateful. You can see it here, verse 20. We become grateful for all things at all times. We begin to speak to one another in ministry, the mutual submission. Come back next week. I'm going to preach on submission and all those tasty verses next week. But the focus of these weeks is the other thing is, we see, singing to God. It's a response filled with the Spirit. Singing comes. Worshipping comes. We are a worshipping people. And of course, listen, I know worship is more than just singing. But it's not less than singing. Okay? Worship is all of life. But a very important aspect is this thing of singing, both individually and corporately. We are a singing people. And there's a reason for this. The reality of God and Christ and creation and salvation and heaven and hell, these things are just simply too great for mere speaking. They also must be sung. This means that the reality of who God is, who Jesus Christ is, what he has done for us, what he's doing for us, what he is yet to do for us in the future is so great that we're not just to think about it and talk about it or just write about it. We're to express it. And the way in which we express it as human beings is we sing. That's what happens. People stir their emotions. People express their emotions through song. Think about what's happening in the world right now. Glastonbury, somewhere down yonder. Everyone's singing. What are they doing? They're expressing their emotions. They're singing. They're, they're kind of, I mean, they might just be shouting and staring around, but there's something in them just is wanting to spread. European championships. What's happening in, this, in the stadiums? People are stirring their emotions. They, they are trying to, come on, team. We're going to sing. We're going to try and cheer you on. At the same time, they're expressing their emotions. Elation or, or even think about protests. Right? Defiance is expressed through what? Through song. We shall not be moved. We shall not be shaken. All this kind of... Our emotions as people, as human beings, are expressed through song and even more so as Christians. Because we've got something real to sing about. We've got something eternal to sing about. We've got something that we sing about which isn't just going to be gone here today and gone tomorrow. Isn't going to fade or perish. Is not... Listen, Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forevermore is not something who's just a bit dull. He never changes. It's Jesus does not change. He is eternally worthy of praise. He is eternally worthy of our worship. And the way in which we express that, a part of it needs to be through song. These verses unpack something of what it is to be a spirit-filled singing people. Something of what it is to be charismatic. Now, we live in a world where Lots of churches are charismatic these days. We live in a world where uh, it's now kind of mainstream within Christianity in some way, shape, or form to be charismatic. But <coughs> that didn't go well. <coughs> <laughs> <coughs> oh, man. I'm going to put that somewhere else. If I reach for that again, shout at me. <coughs> Smooth. <coughs> 
someone bring a contribution? <laughs> We're charismatic because the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us as individuals. And when, uh, and he wants to come and he wants to dwell in us as individuals, but when we come together corporately, something happens. When a bunch of spirit, this is what it is to be charismatic, when a bunch of spirit-filled individuals gather together in the same place at the same time with the same purpose, with the same intention of glorifying Jesus Christ, something happens or something should. And if it doesn't, it ain't the PA's fault. And if it doesn't, it isn't going, well, the band, they were rubbish today. They just didn't pick any songs and just not feeling it. What were they doing? There was too much this. There was too much that. There was, yeah, the bass, that's too loud. Whatever it is, that's not the issue. Something, if, if, if a bunch of spirit-filled individuals gather on a Sunday and worship is duff and rubbish and nothing is really happening, that ain't the fault of the people here. Now, sure, they can kind of do things to help us and, and do things to really not help us. But if things ain't happening, we've got to ask the question, is this the only place I've worshipped this week? I ain't getting anything out of this. Hang on a minute. Is this the only time I've worshipped this week? Because if this is the only time I've worshipped this week, if this is the only time I've expressed something to God in worship and singing and, and stirring my affections and my soul, why on earth am I surprised that nothing happens on 30 minutes on a Sunday morning? But when the people of God who have been worshipping all week in their own private time, have been coming before the Lord in song, in, in mumbled, whatever it is, in, in stirring our affections, in spending time in the presence of God, when we come together, something happens. You see, being truly charismatic is to be filled with the Spirit of God based upon the Word of God, and our meetings should reflect this. And the Word of God tells us what we should expect when we, when we gather together in our meetings. Now, the expression of this will be different wherever you go in the world. In some places in the world, it's way more lively than it is here. I mean, people actually dance as opposed to like dancing their hearts in certain parts of the world. I mean, you go to some places and they actually look happy. We spend most of our time with our faces looking like they forgot that our souls got saved. It doesn't, but that's not the issue. You can look miserable as anything and yet still you're rejoicing. Because the issue is not whether we're bouncing around and, or we're still and quiet. It's not one of personal uh, preference. The issue is, is the presence of God there. Is the Holy Spirit moving? And when we come together, there's an expectation that the Spirit is moving and the Spirit is leading us. We're, verse 19, we're addressing one another. We're speaking to one another in ministry. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 says, When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. It's the whole role of spiritual gifts. We haven't got time to get into it today, but it's, they're all about building up the body and bringing glory to God. And then we see, verse 19 here, we sing together psalms hymns and spiritual songs. Psalms, most likely a direct reference to, well, Psalms, the Old Testament. There's the idea that scripture will be read and sung. Hymns, the kind of songs which people have written that focus uh, on God or Christ. In our context, are the ones that appear on the screen. And then we have this whole thing of spiritual songs, not prepared in advance, but prompted by the Spirit. Spontaneous praise, which the Spirit has inspired that come out of the lips of a worshiper who's so in awe and wonder of who God is and what he's doing, and so filled up with the Spirit, it's like bursts out and comes forth and comes out in song along to melody of whatever the band are playing at that particular time. And we, we, we call, might call these songs prophetic. The Spirit reveals something to that person who in turn puts them to music. And these songs are here. They're not just fillers so the band can change key and put their capo on and sort out what's coming next. They're there, they're there to, to stir our affections towards God. They're causing us to corporately to extol Him and worship Him and magnify Him and declare His word. They're about helping us take our eyes off ourselves and, and fixing them onto him. 
But there's also a teaching element to these songs. Verse 19, addressing one another. Real close parallels with this passage to Colossians 3.16, which says, Let the, the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Very similar, very clear parallels here. There's a teaching element to it. I'll be honest with you. I have a concern. I have a nagging concern in my heart. The bigger we get, the more people that come and part of us, I have a, 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 just a little tug of, oh God, please help us on this. Let us not be turned into this. And the danger is, is that there is a, there's a danger of turning worship into a spectator sport. But like football, you go to a football stadium and there's 22 people running around on the pitch and everyone else sitting watching it. And occasionally they'll join in and lift their voices and sing and go, yay, well done everyone on the pitch. But most of the time they're sitting on their bums just watching these other people running around. I have a slight concern that there's a danger that we become like that. We can sit and turn worship into this spectator sport. We become passive. It's what those people do up there, or that person, or this person, or these guys on the stage, or the first however many rows, or that little pocket over there. I'm going to sit, and I'm going to watch it. I'll be honest with you. This is why I sit at the front. You sit at the front because you're the leader and you have to sit at the front. Well, I don't think that's in the Bible anywhere. I could kind of sit wherever. I sit at the front because... I know there is a tendency in my heart to be passive. I know there's a tendency in my heart to be disengaged. Hands like when we're talking, it's like, oi, back in the room. I'm like, oh, well, yeah. Because my mind goes all over the place. Of course it does. I'm preaching now, and I kind of had a moment there. I swallowed the water, and I started thinking about all sorts of random other things. I'm like, no, no, what are you doing? You're preaching, you fool. Concentrate. I'm exactly the same in worship. I was being at this conference the last few days, and on, I think it was yesterday morning, I sat between Jenny and Colin and Dave and Carolyn were behind me and song in, one song in, I'm like, I have to move. Not because of their terrible singing. Their singing was wonderful. But I was like, I, I'm just, I'm going to get distracted here. So I got out, I walked and I went and stood by the side and sort of meandered to the front. I need to concentrate. I need to, otherwise I'd go passive. That's why I sit at the front. Now, we could make one big front row if that helps everybody. <laughs> but the, and I'm not saying if you sat at the back, I'm just the person who sits there on my hands doing nothing. But what, what I'm kind of saying is, what do you need to do to actually participate? What do you actually need to do in order to engage yourself? You're not going to be distracted. For some, it's don't sit next to that person anymore. Because you're just concerned about what you sound like. And you're worried about what they sound like. Well, or you don't like what they sound like. <laughs> or you do like what they sound like. You think, I can't sing because they're amazing. Go and sit somewhere else then. Walk around. No, but this is my space and I shall not move. No, you can go wherever you want. I mean, if, you, if you're like a, a proper distracting dancing kind of person, that's okay. Just do it at the back. All right? <laughs> I'm only joking. You can come and dance at the front if you really want. But if you, if, if you culturally are the kind of person that helps me dance, dance. Just because a whole bunch of people next to you would never be seen dead dancing doesn't mean that you can't dance. If you're the person who needs to kneel to concentrate, well, kneel. You want to lie down, lie down. I mean, it's not an excuse to go to sleep. But <laughs> you need to do what you need to do. Yeah. And we need to kind of lose. I, I'll be honest. I, I get judgmental in my heart. Right? We all do. And if you, if you pretend you don't, you've got an issue with pride. <laughs> we do. Oh, they're sitting down again. Why aren't they engaging? Oh, he's bouncing again. Greg is kneeling again. Stand up, man. 
what am I doing? No, 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 no. This is not about me. It's not about the person next to me. It's not about what's... It's about him and worshiping and encountering him. So here's the thing. When spiritual songs come, I just want to focus in on this. We've only got a few minutes left and I've got like a million things to say. But when spiritual songs come, it's not a sit-down moment. No, it might be that you can sit you want to sit down. Standing is difficult for that time. So what I'm talking about is a sit-down in your spirit moment. It's not time I shut up now. This is time to engage. What do you do? Some real practical things for you. Listen and learn. Listen and learn. Like first thing, this sounds obvious. Oh, it's Melinda singing again. It's nice for about a minute and then I drift off into my own little, what's for lunch? No, no, no. Listen and learn. Meditate on what's being sung. Focus on the words. Ask the spirit to quicken your heart. Teach me. What are you doing? What are you saying through to me through this? What are you revealing to me through this? Second thing you can do, sing the same song. They start singing about worthy. Join in. Worthy. Worthy. Worthy are you, Lord. Worthy are you, Lord. Worthy. And if you sing like, worthy are you, sing like that. It doesn't really matter. But join in and sing those songs. Sing your own spiritual song. Yeah, I, I, when someone brings I'm just off. I'm like, yep. Yeah. It's partly why I sing in the front as well, because no one can hear my voice, because I'm <laughs> this way. But sing your own spiritual song. Take whatever truth it is about Jesus Christ or, or the Lord or whatever it is that has awakened your heart. Put it in your own words and sing along if you're able to, to the melody. If you're not, well, just sing along anyway. It doesn't really matter. It might be short phrase. It might be a long thing. Sing. Pray. Fourth thing you do is Pray. Use that time to intercede for yourself. God, you are so worthy. Thank you that you are worthy. I am not worthy except for I'm found in you, and so I'm completely worthy. I'm so grateful. God, make this. My spouse doesn't know you. May they know you to be worthy too. Pray. Pray. Use those moments to, to pray. engage in what's going on. It's not spectator sport. And then give thanks. The final thing, give thanks. Spend time thanking God. Thank you that you are worthy. Here's the deal. Stop being concerned about what anyone else thinks. Who cares what anyone else thinks? You're not here for anyone else. And if you are, you probably need to deal with that before you come. Well, I'm only here because they, what they think. Hey, you're an adult. If you're not, you can go and join the 11s to 14s. Honestly, I'm not like being critical. I'm just saying there are other places we can help you find. If you think I'm only actually here, I don't really know why I'm here. I'm not for that. I need to be taught. Well, we can help you. I'm not being flippant here. I'm saying genuinely, if you're like, I have no idea why I come. I just come because mom and dad do or my spouse does or whatever. I don't really get what this is about. Well, come and tell us that. We can help you. We'll sit down with you and say, this is what it's all about. But we're here not for anybody else. We're here to glorify Jesus. Let's focus on that. And we need to understand that as we come to focus our eyes on him, he is desperate. The Holy Spirit is desperate for us to encounter God. So many of us are just kind of like, I'll wait I don't feel anything. I don't feel anything. Maybe if I sit down and look, I won't, I'll feel something. No, you're never going to feel anything. Worship is not a passive thing. It's an incredibly active thing. Okay? Feeling the presence of God. There are moments where you will tangibly feel the presence of God. Yes, but it's something that we believe by faith. The Bible says the promise of God is where two or three are gathered, there you are. So I believe by faith that there you are. And so I'm going to stir my soul. I'm going to stir my affections. I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. I'm going to say, come on, soul, wake up. I hate this song. We've sung it every single week for the past three years. But I, it's got truth in it. And so I'm not here to my preferences. I'm here for the glory of God. Wake up. Sing these words. Wake up, soul. And then you think about how else the Bible tells us about worship. It's incredibly active. It's not passive. It's things like sing and clap your hands and shout to the Lord and sing a new song and, and dance and, and just for a moment, just think about your hands. 
All right? Think how expressive, I mean, some of us are less expressive than others and some of us more than others, but think about the way in which we use our hands. Our hands speak loudly. When you're angry, you clench your fists. I mean, hopefully you don't actually punch anything or anyone, but you, I'm cross. My hands get clenched together. When, when we're worried, we kind of like wring our hands. When we're afraid, we hide our eyes or we grip onto something, we grab to something. Our hands in everyday life are incredibly kind of expressive. And of course, they are in worship too. I surrender to you, Lord. The physical act, I'm, I'm surrendering to you because you're almighty and I'm not. I'm extolling worship. This is not like the hand positions that do that. Someone's <laughs> surrendering, all right? I'm just saying there's something expressive. I express my devotion physically. I'm coming before you. You are God almighty. You're worthy to be praised. Soul, wake up. I'm not feeling it. Soul, wake up. This is a mighty God. Soul, wake up. He is the one who is worthy of worship. Soul, wake up. Oh, God, you are my, I believe it by faith. I'm not feeling it. And my circumstances suck. My life is terrible. But right now, I'm believing by faith that you are all that you say you are. And my soul is going to sing. And my heart is going to be stirred. And I'm going to come to this place of fixing my eyes, not upon myself, but upon you. And as I do, I'm realizing I'm being changed. You might be changed in the moment. You probably won't be. But you do it week after week after week, day after day after day. And I guarantee you, you will be changed in more and more into Christ-likeness. And if you don't, you won't. Now, this is not a beat you up, oh, I'm never worshiping, I'm never going to change. Because you, the moment you became a Christian, you are on this journey to being created like Christ. One day you will see him face to face and you will be perfect. He will bring you on that journey. And if you never read your Bible ever again, if you never sing ever again, if you never do anything ever again, if you're genuinely saved, that's it. Once saved, you're always saved. You are in. The Lord loves you. Nothing can pluck you from his hand in any way, shape, or form. He will bring you to a place of perfection. But here's the deal. You want to grow in godliness now. You want to grow in Christ-likeness now. You want to just, frankly, grow in a sense of, man, church is boring every week. I need it to be a bit more exciting now. You need to come and worship. And if you're just relying on 30 or 40 minutes, sort of singing the songs and not really engaging, it's not going to happen. But if you give yourself to this, he will change you. We're going to worship if the band could come back. But here's the thing. We need to actively fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. See, worship is God-centered. It's not self-absorbed. Worship is about him. It's not about me. Worship is about his fame and his name. It's not about my felt needs. And here's the irony, the beautiful irony in God. As I do that, my felt needs get provided for. As I take my eyes off myself and my circumstances, as I fix them on him solely, oh, look what happens. He's working it all out for the good of those who love him. And how do I express my utter devotion and love to him? I want to worship him with all that I am, now and forevermore. We want to be a people who worship in spirit and in truth. We want to recognize that it's not, you know how conversation goes, did you enjoy worship? Well, I didn't get much out of it, but it was never about you. It's always about him. Was God glorified today? Was the name of Jesus proclaimed today? Was the name of Jesus made famous in some way today? Was the word of the Lord read out and prayed in today? Did people acknowledge him as king and ruler today? That is what it's all about. And we've got to recognize that we come before the one who is over all things. We need to get a right perspective on who we're worshiping. We can't worship the God of our preferences. We can't worship the God of our, what, who we want. Jesus in my image, just a bit of a better version than me. We worship the one who's an all-consuming fire. 
We worship the one who flung stars into space, who put the galaxies by the name. We worship the one who determines the eternal destination of every single person on this planet. We worship the one who made the mountains and the valleys deep, the one who is supremely holy, supremely powerful, supremely glorious in all his ways, and yet knows you. He's Emmanuel, God with us. And we are his children. We are his sons, his daughters. We are his co-heirs. We are those who have been welcomed into the family, who have been adopted in. And I'm going to sing. And I'm going to praise him. And I'm going to worship him because he alone is worthy. You know that Christmas carol that we love to sing all year round? Oh, and we go, we're singing carols in August. What are we doing? He alone is worthy. He alone is glorious. He alone is victorious. He alone shall be the object of my affection. He alone shall be the desire of my heart. He alone shall be the one I worship and I adore. Thanks for listening to this talk from New Community. For more information about New Community, check out newcommunitychurch.org.uk.